Listen to Natty News. Hello everyone, welcome to Natty News, the nattiest news show in the world. My name is Amit Nanny, and I'm joined once again with my co-host, Pat, Master Chef Wu. Pat, how are you doing? I, I think it should be Anwar MasterChef Danani, but I am doing great. It's uh first day of school again, which is probably the first time someone ever said that in July. And uh Anwar for you, it's the fourth of July in the States. How's it going? Yes, it's a it's another beautiful freedom day. Uh, although I didn't do too much. Um I, I've been looking for a new apartment, so I was finally able to secure one, so that's gonna be great and then um did a run did some good cardio it was a hot day today in austin but you know i kind of like it it feels like i'm in a sauna perpetually so and i love sauna so i just kind of like try to think about that um make my have my skin all like glowing afterwards feels good uh how was the first day of school uh it was pretty boring we went through the morning talking about our like, clinical placements uh which wasn't very interesting and in the afternoon, we kind of talked about making a learning plan, which was okay, but it was really good to catch up with uh, with all the different classmates and hear about their experiences. And knowing that there's really only one more year of classes before I am very close to graduation. So it's exciting. Yeah, I mean, you've been in school for so long, and I, I feel like this might be it for you. I feel like once you get your physical therapist, uh, you might be done. So it's truly been a journey for you. Like, I don't know how you've done it, but uh, it definitely is an accomplishment. Yeah, I'm just, you know, trying to hold off on adult responsibilities. So you got to keep doing more degrees. You got to keep pumping them out. Five sets of five, right? <laughs> Oh, well, um, you know, with that note, one of the things we want to talk about today is one of those adult responsibilities, and it is cooking. It's talking about making those meals, getting those macros, getting those micros, making those gains, because truly, if you want to get big, you have to eat big, which funny enough, you actually really don't. From what we talked about before in Natty News, you only need like 300 extra calories, so that's kind of a false statement. <laughs> If you're not eating enough, then you have to eat bigger. <laughs> true, true. But um, no, I think like one, it's kind of funny. A lot of people, when they get into fitness, they also kind of get into cooking a little more because they start meal prepping and they start realizing like, okay, I can't eat out all my meals to do this. So, and I want to have certain macros in my meals. I want to make sure I have enough proteins, fats, carbs, all that. So uh, it's funny. It feels like fitness is a gateway into cooking for a lot of people. Yeah, but on the other side of things, for a lot of people, I think a lot of people get stuck into never cooking. Like, I know, for example, I have, I used to never really cook, and I still, as you know, I'm a pretty terrible cook. And I find that, you know, when we talk about exercise, and where me and you have spent so many episodes talking about ways to make exercise fun and, and automate it, right? We talk about planning and, like, setting up the environment, putting in your schedule and finding different workouts to make it more fun. But when it comes to nutrition, I find there's still a lot of people who are in that chicken, rice and broccoli, uh, very like standard boring meals uh, type of situation. So I think this episode hopefully can shed some light on like practical ways that we can make cooking more fun because those of you who don't know, Anwar is a very good and creative cook and even without a lot of materials, when he lived alone at UBC, for example, he was able to make me some stellar meals. I, I appreciate it, Pat. I, I think 
you know, I, I would say I'm, I'm not a, I'm not the fanciest of cooks, but I think something I, I'm very passionate about, and something I think I'm pretty good at, is making very macro-friendly meals. I think um, I find that food is one of the few luxuries in life where it's actually not too much work or it's not too expensive either to actually produce a pretty good quality thing. And then making that kind of macro-friendly and something you can eat um, on kind of a daily basis is something I'm, I'm very passionate about. I mean, um, one of the things that I think a lot of people when they get into the fitness lifestyle, they just assume it's all going to be, you know, just salads and um, chicken breast and plain rice. And uh, I mean, you and I know that's kind of BS. That's not really how it has to be. And I think you can actually eat a lot of very delicious food while still hitting your macros and hitting all the goals you have. Definitely. And, and I'm really excited to hear more from you because I think a lot of people, I think just as a lot of people make, uh, well, either make excuses or have legitimate reasons where they can't uh, exercise very well, a lot more people, I think, have trouble uh, finding the time and feeling like they have the competence to make good, healthy meals on a regular basis. So yeah, I'm super stoked. Definitely, definitely. I think before we kind of maybe jump into um, some of these like, actual like tips and tricks, I think maybe I want to talk a little bit about the science of nutrition and uh, full full disclosure, neither Pat or I are nutritionists. Um, actually, I think, Pat, you haven't even taken a class on nutrition, have you? Uh, I, I took a number in university. I took maybe like three or four courses in university, but that by no means makes me an expert. I, I know like very basic. I know macronutrients, micronutrients, and, and Anwar, I know we've talked a little bit about bioavailability and things, but yeah, very basic level in terms of the actual science in this episode. Yeah, so I just want to give a disclosure that like anything we talk on here, like take it with a bit of grain of salt. Although I, I do love reading and learning more about it, we are far from experts, but hopefully we can still teach a few things and give a little tips and tricks to help you guys out. Um, so before we kind of start talking some more um, details of actual tips, let's talk a little bit about definitions. So macronutrients, are, you know, most people probably know what macros are, but they're your protein, your fat, your carbs, kind of the building blocks of the human body really like it's what we get our energy it what rebuilds our muscles it what affects our hormones it's it really is crazy about how much those three nutrients really affect us um and when a lot of times when people are going through any kind of body recomposition that's kind of what they only focus on is like okay how much protein am i getting how much fat am i getting how many carbs i'm getting and i, I am definitely guilty of that too i think it's a very call it was a very common thing when me and pat were uh, in high school and stuff about um if it fits your macros like that's the only thing that matters although i feel now people are starting to really put a lot more respect on the micronutrients you have stan efferding who has the vertical diet which um it, it talks about kind of having a steady caloric surplus, but as well as making sure you have the building blocks that you're getting your micronutrients, that you're filling your diet with very micronutrient heavy foods. Um, and that kind of like the importance that you have the mechanisms to, you know, gain muscle, to recover properly, to have good brain function, to have good focus. All that comes from these building blocks of your micronutrients, so your vitamins, your minerals, us. Uh, some people include fiber as a micronutrient. I personally do, but some keep it as a macro. Either way, all this stuff is uh, very, very important to kind of build through anything. Um, but yeah, anything you wanted to add with micro and macronutrients, Pat? 
Yeah, I think uh, I think you hit a lot of nails in the head. And um, now I think in regards to the macros too, I think uh, some people, I think one thing that kind of gets tossed away in the in the health and fitness kind of space is that people do neglect carbs. Now I don't neglect carbs. I eat way too many potato chips sometimes. But I know a lot of people. They get too deep into it, and they're they're too focused on their their protein, their vegetables, what and whatnot. Uh, but neglect the effect that carbs do have, and and that main effect is to provide energy, which is very key um, in filling up your glycogen stores. In which you don't have them, then every time you exercise, you're sort of in a more depleted state. I think a lot of people, I've had conversations with people who have, for example, uh, skipped breakfast and only had maybe a couple eggs or whatnot. And they wonder why they felt really drained during the workout. And there are many scenarios where it, it simply comes down to allowing yourself to have carbs. So I think uh, I've heard a lot that it's really been catastrophized. Everyone's trying to say that carbs are evil or that taking out carbs will make you more lean. But uh, having carbs, especially before and after your workout, is extremely important to give you that energy to power through uh, in terms of the macro side. Protein, everyone knows the benefits of. They they uh, essentially help you rebuild everything outside of just muscle. Your whole body is constantly regenerating itself, and protein is kind of a key to all those functions. And uh, and fats again, uh, you know, making sure you having a little bit of saturated fats, but also emphasizing those good fats like from uh, vegetables like avocado, as I'm sure you'll talk about later, Edward. Yeah, that's all I had to add. You know, um. Uh, this is a little tidbit too about the um carbs one of the things too and uh, something i'm a big believer too is like uh, and something actually nine years were a big believer in is sustainability and carbs a lot of carby food is delicious so i think kind of cutting out all that makes it you have to do more discipline to hit those goals and i think one of the name of the game the name of the game when you're doing any type of body recomposition is making it as easy as you can like if you want to have like you know some pasta there's ways you can um make it so it can still be very macro friendly and you can still get that craving filled so you can focus on discipline and other aspects so uh, as i'm saying with um pasta there's ways you can make it macro friendly so that you don't have to have the same discipline and you can use that discipline in other ways maybe not drinking as much or maybe making sure you go a little harder in the gym and other things so uh, i really do think the name of the game really is trying to make as much of traditionally unhealthy food into kind of healthier variants. I feel like that's been my best strategy for um, actually like cutting a, any body recomposition um, rather than just like completely taking out food. I think I always feel like it's a mistake when people just want to fully cut out food. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and I also think there's a problem with uh, people inherently categorizing food as uh, healthy and unhealthy. Uh, there's one uh, trainer and, and uh, Sohi Lee, who's who's really heavily on the social media, talks a lot about it. Where um, we've kind of like as a like health and fitness industry catastrophized foods, like things like carbohydrates, eating noodles, eating snacks, like making it inherently sound like a bad thing. But it's all about like portion control, right? Having some snacks or having pasta couple types a week might not be a bad thing it actually isn't a bad thing at all for your health and if actually if you're trying to gain weight or maintain weight 
Carbohydrates are one of the most energy dense sources, right? So it's not a bad thing to have a lot of calories if you're trying to gain some weight. Like if you're not going to eat carbs, it's going to be very hard to eat what you need to do. Completely, completely. Well, so now above the macro and micronutrients, something else that I am very interested in is the whole concept, well, the whole idea of bioavailability. So bioavailability is like when you have like a carrot um, and let's say a carrot has a certain amount of like vitamin C that you see on MyFitnessPal. And so you eat this carrot and you're like, oh boy, I've gotten all this vitamin C. I am so healthy. Now, have you have you truly gotten all those great micronutrients the thing is the way you cook and even the way you eat food can affect its bioavailability which is mind-blowing um foods like uh spinach um spinach you actually want to cook it slightly like even just steaming it or like quickly sauteing it and it significantly increases the nutrition profile you're getting much more vitamin a e fiber zinc calcium everything from just slightly cooking it um and same with other vegetables like uh carrots as well carrots uh actually has a different nutrient profile where if you kind of bake them compared to having it raw so it really is one of these crazy things where there's not really one best option so it's not like oh you should have all your food raw that's not true you're actually missing on impossible uh bioavailability of some nutrients if you don't cook it and then people say like oh you should only boil your food while you're also losing on some other type of nutrients so it really is truly interesting about the variety of nutrient profiles can come from based off how you cook your food. Now, um, of course, there is like adva- other advantages. I mean, when you boil some food, of course, you're not adding any calories compared to deep frying. So there is uh, some other consideration you should take into it. But uh, something I'm a big believer in, and I, I am actually I'm stealing this from uh, a nutritionist. I forgot her name, but. Uh, one of the key things with nutrition is kind of having a variety of foods in your diet and cooking them in a variety of different ways is really a great way to get such a broad spectrum of different nutrients and kind of fueling your body and making sure you kind of have all bases covered. It really is one of the key things I feel like for nutrition is variety. Man, and you know, just hearing that statement, I feel personally... Uh... <laughs> Like I like it's a very simple statement that you're saying, and I feel like I don't do very well at that. I either generally eat not the best, or when I do, I tend to eat the same thing very, very often, like the same meat, same vegetable, same snacks. I tend to cook in the same way too. Like I, I abuse my instant pot, or I eat my fruits uh, raw. So it's a very simple and, and effective consideration that you're saying here. Uh, hey, dude, instant pots are great, especially when you go to class and stuff. That's a, that's a good thing for the people who have to like yeah, go to the office or go um, into class or also who don't even like cooking much. I think instant pots are great ways where you can make unbelievably tasty food with kind of minimal effort. Instant pot is the single greatest thing ever. And even someone like me who can't chop an onion can operate this thing. It is amazing. Yeah. Uh, Well, so we kind of like talked a little bit about the science and uh, a bit about the bioavailability. So um, with that being said, I wanted to make sure we talked about that because, again, my kind of mythos is really focusing on variety. I really do try to have variety. So let's kind of start off with the grocery store. Pat, when you go to the grocery store, what do you try to get? Like, do you do you go in with like um, 
a, a list or what do you kind of go? What's your strategy for the grocery store? Uh, absolutely got to have a list. Um, that's pretty key. Now, I tend to... Um, oh, so food for me goes for like food with my parents and my family. So um, it's always pretty much the same routine every week. Uh, there are snacks on my list, of course, uh, because I'm off season and I have my snacks, but we don't have to talk about that here. But then there's vegetables and there's meat. Uh, and then there's like dairy and eggs and type of stuff. That's kind of how I separate it. Uh, there's typically always like staple vegetables that we get for home. Uh, there's some Chinese veggies that my, my folks get that I'm not really sure what they're called. But I tend to like things like bell peppers um, and celery and spinach. Um, and sometimes, uh, oh, I'm blanking. And asparagus a lot of the time. So I usually tend to pick two or three for the week. And then I go to my meats, and again, I tend to pick two or three items that I want, and it doesn't really matter. I tend to rotate between um, fish, chicken, turkey, and beef, uh, whether that be like beef stew or ground beef, ground turkey, bone in or bone out. Um, but those are kind of my staples, and I go and get myself some eggs. And besides that, like, I don't really change up the routine that often. Like, I might change up the... The veggies I get, or I might change out a fruit or two, but almost every week it's like the same thing for me. Well, you know, Pat, it's kind of uh, funny. Um, we have a very similar shopping um philosophy, and I, I love to hear it. So I'm kind of the same as you. When I go, uh, I try to get a variety of different vegetables for that week, and then a bunch of different meats for that week, and then a uh, different carb sources. So. Uh, maybe for one week, I'll get some like pasta and chickpeas or maybe another week I'll get some rice and uh, potatoes or something like that. So um, and then for proteins, yeah, I kind of um, go p through for like maybe having some type of beef or chicken or um, even under very rare occurrences, maybe some seafood. Uh, and I, I really like kind of your approach and I really like that because I think that's a good way because I feel like when you're at the grocery store, you, when you physically see everything, it kind of gives your body a way of like, oh, what am I craving? Like, do I want to have chicken this week? Or do I want to have beef this week? And I like to think our bodies are very self-regulating. So when it kind of, when you kind of look at this food and you want that, it's kind of your body telling yourself that like, hey, we've been lacking some certain nutrients. Let's go get this and eat this this week so our body can kind of fill the gaps that we're missing. That's kind of like a way I look at it, although I don't have any science to back that up. Well, yeah, like, like totally. And I think, I think that totally makes sense too. Right? And also obviously like you walk in with your budget and then beyond that point, like, you know, if chicken costs, like, however, let's say hypothetically $2 a pound, which it never does. And turkey costs two twenty a pound, but you want to eat turkey. Like I would say, just go and get yourself the turkey, right? It's like not a big deal. And especially if you're really in the habit of eating at home and you're not eating out a lot, like, you know, like you're already saving yourself a whole bunch anyways. Yeah, no, love it. So Pat, I think we ha we're on the same boat when it comes to the groceries. And I completely agree with that, especially uh, something I've become a very big fan of um, is actually um, these chickpea pastas. And you're seeing them a lot more often now. Have you ever tried them before? I have not had the chance to try chickpea pasta. I One thing I do have a lot is this uh, egg white pasta, which is like, I can't remember, but it's like pretty high in protein. Like it's like 20% calories from protein, um, which is pretty good. 
Dude, no, I, I I need to try that out. That sounds great. Yeah, there's like there's also like lentil pasta too. Um, and these pastas are very like high in protein and high in fiber, which is fantastic. And now a bunch like I guess the big complaint is they are more expensive too. Like um a box of it might be um maybe triple what you'd be paying for the regular stuff. But you know, I kind of feel like though, uh even with triple the price, uh, a box of pasta can normally last me maybe three meals maybe four meals it's three to four meals so if maybe a box of passes normally a dollar and i get this one we're talking about like a difference of like a dollar per meal so uh, of course like if you are in a very tight budget maybe hold off but otherwise i really do think sometimes it's worth paying the extra for some of the more nutritionally dense foods yeah yeah definitely and i, I think it still comes down to Thinking about what you want to budget for them. And I think if you're intelligent about your choices, like meals can be very surprisingly uh, affordable. Now, especially if you go the route of like being creative and using um, vegetarian and vegan protein sources, like uh, what is that meal? Like Indian doll, I believe is just like lentil, a whole bunch of seasonings and, and whatnot. And that's like a high protein meal. And I really think it doesn't cost much at all because yeah, legumes and beans are so affordable. Dude, uh, you hit the nail. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned dal because that is um, one of the... It is actually actually a staple food. I like to cook a lot. Um, and it is very high in protein and is very cheap and can be and it is very, very delicious. Um, but let's start actually a little bit about the cooking. Pat, do you normally follow a recipe when you cook? Uh, yes, because I cannot be left to my own devices. <laughs> No, yeah. that that is that's completely fine and i think recipes are super important but i think one issue i see and something i've overcome as like a home cook is recipes are never gospel um and the, the i think the purpose of a recipe is if you're trying to cook something new it's nice to have someone hold your hand and i think a very good recipe would explain to you why we're doing every step like an example is uh, Pat, if let's say you want to make some macaroni and cheese, um, most recipes will ask you to make a roux. I know you probably won't be making it because of lactose intolerance, but for people uh, who are curious, when you make macaroni and cheese, the first thing you're going to do is probably make a roux. And a roux is a mixture of butter and flour, where then you add milk and it creates a sauce. And if you just kind of follow the motions, you can make the sauce and you'll make a delicious thing. But if you kind of think about it and be like, okay, what's going on? All right, we're making the roux. The roux is actually a mixture of flour and fat. And this kind of creates a thickener when you kind of boil it. So in, uh, in water. So you use the milk as kind of water. But you, with that fundamental block, you can make so many different sauces. Like maybe you don't want a very heavy, creamy sauce. You could then um, use butter, a flour, and maybe chicken stock. And now you can actually have maybe more of a gravy sauce. And Pat, let's say you want to make a fully like vegetarian sauce. You could then use like coconut oil with flour and um, use some vegetable stock. And there you have a beautiful sauce you can have for your meal. And you know what? Let's even do it. Let's say you want to make a high protein sauce. You can use um, any type of fat again. Use barley flour, which has a similar amount of starch as regular flour. And then with this barley flour, you then have a very high protein base. You can add in any liquid. Like, let's say, again, we use milk. There you go. You have a sauce that has, like, 20 grams of protein in it. And, like, it's mind-blowing. So I think one of the key things with cooking 
is understanding the steps you're doing. Like, um, another example is if you want to make like, um, let's say like some um, chicken tikka, uh, one of the first things you would do is you would do a yogurt marinade. Now, why do we do a yogurt marinade? Well, the idea is that the yogurt has acid that actually breaks down some of the chicken fibers to make it more moist. But then with this idea, you understand that acid plus meat allows for tenderizing. So if you get like a cheap cut of steak and then you put some acid on it, you could use vinegar, you could use lime, um, and then boom, you kind of then tenderize it. So when you cook it, you get more of an enjoyable feeling. Uh, and I really think one of the key things of cooking is kind of understanding these mechanisms and then kind of playing around with these mechanisms to make them fit whatever you're trying to make, what type of flavors or uh, textures or feelings you want to feel when you eat your meal. Oh, man, we're getting hit with a advanced food science uh, lesson here. Well, then, Anwar, I must ask you, as someone who has very basic skills, what are kind of your biggest hate the word hack right but whatever your some of your base is tips of like of like flavor combinations or, or like food chemistry that you find enhances your foods that you use on the most regular basis man okay um like i you think... mentioned the uh the yogurt and acid one like that sounds like a super super good and simple tip right because it doesn't really take skill it's just more about applying that that tips but do you have any other ones you, you know, I, I think, and this is probably going to be the biggest um, tip for people who are more used to bodybuilding meals. Um, and I, I think the biggest tip I could have is make sure you always, uh, you make sure you think about the cooking fat you're using. Um, and because, uh, Pat, uh, one of the big things when we taste food the main transfer of flavor to our tongue is fat. That when the fat is actually really where the flavor comes from, you've probably heard it a lot, but it really is true where um, fat actually, when you cook food, the fat kind of captures that flavor. And so when you eat something, the fat coats your tongue and that gives your flavor receptors the taste of the food. So when you eat something and it's very bland, it normally is because of a lack of a fat and so then fat is kind of like the transfer of flavor now this becomes very tricky because as you know and many people know fat is the most calorie dense macronutrient you're talking about nine calories per gram of fat compared to four calories for carbs and protein but with that being said to kind of go back to our beginning we want something sustainable and if your food doesn't taste good it's not going to be sustainable so I would say to always use a type of cooking fat. It doesn't have to be that much, actually. You can be very shocked with how much your food is enhanced by just adding a little bit of fat. And also, I think there should be some thought into what fat you're using. Like, um, obviously, butter is a, is a very good cooking fat, for especially if you're using kind of um, low heat. You can have a very kind of creamy feeling and taste, which is very nice. Um, something I'm actually a very big fan of is ghee. I think ghee gives this unbelievably like earthy flavor to a lot of your foods and I, I love cooking with it. I think it's very fantastic. Uh, of course, there's olive oil, which um, provides a very aromatic type of flavoring, which is very nice, especially with um, foods that have a lot of herbs in them and garlic and stuff is delicious. Um, I, I actually would f advise maybe going against some of these neutral flavored oils like 
stuff like canola oil or vegetable oil or avocado oil, I kind of feel like if you're going to be adding fat to your food, you would want it to enhance your flavor. And then these oh. um, neutral flavored fats really kind of offer nothing. So you're kind of in a way wasting calories, in my opinion. That is a very interesting way to think about it. So, okay, now this is very personal and selfish for me to ask. Uh, I don't consume butter for my own personal reasons. Um, so would you suggest, what would be your top uh, suggestion uh, in terms of like a, a uh, regular use oil? Like obviously ghee sounds like a pretty good idea, but I also don't want to be using that every single meal for, for health purposes. To be fair, I mostly just use butter, ghee, and olive oil. I, those are three I think kind of cover most bases for me. So um, butter is used a lot for like very kind of delicate things like eggs. I use uh, butter mostly. Ghee I use for most of my meat um, and stuff. And then I use olive oil if I'm making something very kind of herby. Herby. All right, I will so, get some olive oil and some ghee. Yeah, and I would say play around with it. Like, I think try different cooking fats. Um, another thing I would recommend very much is always over-salt your food. I think a lot of people don't understand how much salt needs to go into food for it to really... Because salt is, like, the number one flavor enhancer you can have. And um, the idea also of sodium linking to heart... Um, uh, heart issues is true but at the same time if you are living a pretty fit life and you do um consume quite a bit of water uh it actually seems to be pretty negligible uh, there's actually a very famous study of um koreans koreans eat a very high in sodium diet i mean we're talking about foods like kimchi which are in incredibly high in sodium but um korea has some of the lowest heart disease in the world and one of the reasons is because they do live a pretty active lifestyle compared to a lot of um north american and european countries so it really isn't kind of the sodium is the issue it most so is kind of the lifestyle um and again um salt is one of the best flavor enhancers you can have besides fat wow that's that's uh you know I can really relate to that in the last couple of years of my life when I had to start weight cutting and cutting out salt. Every single meal was incredibly depressing. So I concur with you on that. And, and uh, I started, um, and this must sound super basic to you, but I started salting my meats and letting them marinate for a few hours. It's this, uh, they call it dry brining. That's what Google Foods calls it. And oh my God, my meal... My meats taste so much better. It was such a mind-blowing thing to me. Dude, and you know what? That's completely true. Like, yeah, no, because um, you probably know this, but for the listeners, uh, salt uh, it then has osmosis where the salt actually can go inside the meat and then take out some water so you can actually have a much better texture and um, your meat is seasoned throughout. It, it's amazing. Um, And see, Pat, that's actually another beautiful building block about cooking. So uh, an example is like, when you marinate something too, you have to think, why are we marinating it? Um, the marinade only really stays on the surface level of the food, but kind of then there's some value. So you always want to make sure that your marinade has a salt component in it. Um, so you can get that kind of brining effect. So I actually really like marinating with soy sauce because you get the whole um, salt um, brining effect. But as well, you then get a very nice like savory flavor around the food when you cook it because of the um, soy sauce and the soy like fermented flavor, which I love. I think soy sauce is uh, a super great thing. And also it's all mostly protein. 
that is true. Soy is mostly protein. Yeah, these are like I I really like those type of things. Those little simple tips that like they don't even take take more time outside of your day. It's just like about application. Yeah, and I think one of the things too, and we I was mentioning this too about variety where. When people think about cooking, a lot of people get into the habit of meal prepping for an entire week, which again, I can see why, but I also feel like there's a lot of, it kind of makes it hard to commit. If you have to eat the same thing every day for a week, unless, I mean, of course, some people have families and stuff where it's the only way you can get through it, which is understandable. But for those who are, you know, kind of maybe still living um, a college or single life, um, I really do think that having variety in your meals is super key. And I think one of the keys is also finding recipes you can bang out really quick. Like, I love breakfast, Pat. I love scrambled eggs. I love all that stuff. So every morning, I make sure I always have, like, a fresh-cooked breakfast. And um, I, I find recipes which I can do stuff concurrently. Like, an example, and this is kind of funny, when I make my scrambled eggs, uh, the first thing um, to do is... I get my toast toasted, so I throw it in the oven and turn it on. And so as I do that, I then go and start brushing my teeth. Um, and so then I, I brush my teeth, finish that, then I start the egg. So I um, crack the egg, start whisking them, getting them all frothy, and then get the pan ready with some butter. And then when they're ready, I put them in. And now with scrambled eggs, you know, one of the big things is you want to have very tiny courage. But... I know that it takes about a minute for the pan to get hot enough for the curves to start firming. So in that time, then I start, you know, getting like changed. And so I spend a minute getting changed. And then um, when the curves are starting to firm, then, you know, you start moving the pan around, getting them all ready, getting it very thin creamy. Uh, by then the toast is done. So you take out the toast from the oven. And then I like to use a little hummus spread. So I, I spread the hummus. And when I'm done with that, the eggs are finished. And then I have my whole meal ready. I'm changed. I brush my teeth. I'm ready. I finish my meal and I'm at the dough. And cooking it truly maybe added five, maybe eight minutes to my day. <laughs> that is incredibly impressive. Also, wouldn't necessarily, con- I would not recommend that for someone who's never done that. I, for one, I don't eat breakfast anymore. <laughs> Because I wake up too late and I think if I try to do what you just did, I would have burned down the kitchen and somehow failed at brushing my teeth too. But you see, I think though the key for um, cooking and like uh, being able to cook often, because I, I do try to cook most of my meals in the day, is being able to do stuff concurrently. So when you have a recipe that takes 30 minutes, let's say, how much of that 30 minutes is real work? Maybe like honestly, eight minutes. You, you, it really most time is just like waiting for something to cook in a pan. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Um, you know, me being less skilled uh, to take it from the beginner level. The the way I kind of meal prep is like kind of like you. I don't like to have full meals like put into like a Tupperware, but I like to have like um, a carb source, a meat source, and like a veggie sauce, a veggie source, and a sauce kind of ready and then i kind of like my default is like an easy stir fry so for example i might do like a and put some oil on as you would suggest and then i would throw in some uh marinated chicken meat or whatnot into the pan and then when that gets warm i'll throw in some peppers i got and then when all that's like mostly cooked i throw in this like generic sauce mixture that i made and then throw in noodles and make this like really easy stir fry in 10 minutes that's kind of 
I really do prefer that rather than pre-made meals for the same reasons you did. They get kind of boring, they're kind of stale. And with that method, I learned it from a YouTube video a while ago, but you can kind of like mix and match ingredients too, uh, which is nice. And uh, my, uh, I like to do things concurrently too, but that's usually me watching anime while I cook rather than uh, trying to get ready for work. <laughs> Hey, you know, no problem with that. And I love that. I, I kind of like that idea of like, I, and I, I do too, where we, I have some stuff already kind of pre-made and kind of just like throw it in and get everything ready, which is a fantastic idea. But something else I think about too is what foods reheat well? Like, I've, for me, um, I, I have not figured out a way to reheat chicken well. I think chicken always tastes gross when you reheat it. Um, I can't find a way, like even in the stove or even on the frying pan or even uh, the microwave is awful. But um, so when uh, if I can't reheat a food well, it then kind of ruins the meal. So then I always try to maybe portion where like the chicken component I might do fresh, but everything else I could do. So like, let's say you want to do like a whole um, stir fry that you were mentioning, you could have Um, you could make a large amount of like vegetables and sauce already and that can reheat very well in the microwave or on the stovetop but then just do the chicken and then mix it all together and you'd have a fantastic meal um that's something i i very much um think about when i have to go into the office is what foods microwave well that will be enjoyable to eat even if i only have access to a microwave and just thinking next level what what's your uh I mean, I imagine you're not making chicken at work. So what's what's the go-to lately? So the go-through with, with um, microwave meals is actually um, a lot of like lentils and dolls. Um, I oh, find yeah. those reheat unbelievably well in microwaves. And the reason why is, let's do a little physics, Pat. How does a microwave work? <laughs> uh, radiation? You know, you're not wrong. So a microwave, you know, surprising enough, it sends microwaves onto your food. And those microwaves, they excite the water particles. And so in these water particles, they have all this energy. They got these microwaves hit on them. And so then they evaporate. And so it kind of steams your food. And that's also why, you know, like if you put some food in the microwave, you might see some condensation on the side of your Tupperware because the steam of the food uh, from the microwave. Um, and so now with that being said, we have to think about, okay, what foods kind of do well with steaming? And so when you make like a curry or you make like a dal or lentils, you're boiling it. And so that's how it was normally cooked. And so steaming it, you're kind of creating a very similar environment to how you initially cooked it. And so then um, it's kind of like, I, I, I don't know why this happens, but it tastes very similar to when you first make it. And, and another thing too is because it's very liquid, it's an easier heat transfer. When you have a solid piece of chicken, there's going to be cold spots because the heat transfer isn't as good in a solid. But with a liquid or something covered in a sauce, there's an even heat spread. So you won't have those cold spots you famously get from microwave meals. Holy shit, that is, uh, that's actually mind-blowing. Okay, that's, so that's probably why my uh, beef stew tends to taste pretty decent when I re-microwave it, because it's kind of like sitting in this liquid and there's veggies and potatoes and all that other stuff with it.
Exactly. I would actually recommend um, most microwave meals should have a pretty loose sauce on it. That's kind of, I feel, the key for microwave meals is you want something to kind of coat around with a sauce. Um, oh, like a soup or something, because you would have more optimal heat transfer. And I also believe because it's analogous to the initial cooking method, it does also provide um, a, a better flavor compared to, you know, cooking something like a, a steak, like microwaving a steak kind of ruins it. <laughs> I don't know a lot about food, but that one I know. Microwaving a steak absolutely just uh, destroys it. Yeah. Yeah, so... That's like another thing too with meal prepping too is like a lot of people do make these like huge bunches of these delicious meals that look fantastic and then you throw it in the microwave and it just kind of becomes goop. <laughs> and that's that's actually that's like a great tip. I mean as a takeaway, yeah. So kind of with meal prepping, if you're gonna get microwaved, it's having like a slightly saucy liquid based food will potentially save your meals. And I mean, this is this is not maybe a very fancy culinary meal, but um, Pat, something I tr I have been taking in a lot to the office actually, and something I truly love is um, Greek yogurt and whey. I think is the best way to have protein. <laughs> I, I knew I we've been talking all this fancy stuff. I knew you were gonna bring up your Greek yogurt and whey. <laughs> uh, Pat, you know I can make. Uh, I, I've made like you know mac and cheese recipes that have like fifty grams of protein per serving, and only like. 30 grams of carbs like really high protein stuff but i truly still believe greek yogurt and whey is my favorite way to get protein um as people can hear it it's very simple you just literally have any greek yogurt take any whey flavor you like mix it together and to me now it's like ice cream i i love it if you want to be very decadent you throw in some peanut butter oh boy oh my goodness that's better than ice cream to me I agree with everything you said in this episode, except what you just said in the last 30 seconds. Oh, no, it's fair, it's fair, but, um, yeah, and, well, we can actually talk a little bit about whey protein, because, um, whey is a funny thing, because it's a very good tool to get a lot of protein, but I also feel like if you rely too much on it, you also kind of miss some benefits from micronutrient heavy food because whey truly is just protein. Like you don't really have anything else in it. Um, and also like for some people, it can be hard on your stomach. Uh, if you have any kind of dairy sensitivity, um, it could be very difficult. I think, Pat, you do like a beef uh, protein powder, right? Yeah, well, my update on my protein journey, I was drinking a beef thing and I finished my beef protein powder, which was like fine and serviceable. It was just like very thick and hard to clean. But uh, I, uh, my girlfriend actually introduced me to uh, this clear whey protein isolate. Like um, it's from my protein. And years ago when I was in high school, I tried those. It's the ones where you shake them up and they're proposed to be like juice and like fruit flavored. But back then they used to taste like ass. It was terrible. But um these ones i've been having now they they straight up like there's no clumps there's no milk flavor and like it literally tastes like mango juice um and it's 100 protein it's uh like it's literally 80 calories and 20 grams of protein so i've been having that as kind of my treat post-workout and uh and uh, it's been a really good supplement i i finally can say i enjoy drinking protein oh wow now that's really cool um I've been I've been playing around a lot with vegan protein powders. There's one um, from this company called Vivo, 
which the problem with vegan protein powders is because uh, they can be very high in heavy metals um, since you're condensing a ton of vegetables into a single supplement. Um, And because of, unfortunately, due to pollution and um, factory farming processes, we have very high um, metals in some of our vegetables. Um, And so without all that being said, uh, Vivo, they're one of the few companies that actually test their protein and measures how many high metals are in it so you can give kind of get the cleanest product. So uh, I've really been enjoying this stuff so far. So highly recommend it um, for anyone who's looking for a good vegan protein option. Nice. Vegan protein. Yeah. Please uh, sponsor us, Vivo. Uh, but anyways, um, you know, when we were talking about cooking, um, I want to talk about for arguably the most popular cooking book right now Greg Doucette's cookbook Pat have you had a chance to look at it before or have you even used some of his recipes I've not looked at it but I've heard about it you you told me about it before and I can't remember if you loved it or you hated it you know there's one idea of it that I really like and I think it's something people forget and it's about volume of food where if you can, if you just eat a bunch of food, you're gonna be satiated. Your stomach's gonna be full. Like people talk about how, oh, all fats can be, um, fats can be very filling. Like if you have a handful of nuts, you can be full for the whole day. And Pat, that's not true. I have five almonds. Five almonds are not gonna keep me satiated. I agree. So, a uh, great Doucette, You know, I think one of the things he's really captured in the book, and uh, I think. Uh, the book in itself, it isn't bad, but I think one of the things I don't like about it is it just kind of like throws in like, oh, just add protein power to something or like, oh, just um, buy a high protein version. And I, and I think like any good cookbook should teach you the mechanisms of why you're doing certain things and then actually teach you how to cook. And then you can kind of start freestyling and find little tips and tricks to make food a lot healthier for yourself. Um, but anyways, I like the idea, though, of just having volume of food. And that's why I truly think it's so important to find a way to enjoy a lot of vegetables because vegetables are so low in calories, yet so filling. Like you eat like three carrots, you would truly feel full from three carrots. Now, how can you make those three carrots taste good to you? Yeah, Uh, if you're asking me, um, I'm lazy and I will eat them what I usually do if I'm trying to eat a lot of vegetables every cutting season is I'll probably try to buy or make vinaigrette or a dressing that is go-to. Like there's this one local restaurant in town, Matsuyama, who has this like uh, some kind of salad dressing <laughs> that you can buy in a bottle. And once upon a time, I bought a bottle of it and I would just literally buy coleslaw from the grocery store, dump it on and eat the whole thing. So a good sauce and vinaigrette is all I've ever done. Pat, you should be running this. That is exactly what I would recommend is, again, yeah, I think one of the key things I try to do is I hide vegetables in sauces. Because, again, let's talk about early when I was talking about fat. Fat is the major flavor vehicle for our taste buds. So if you have something covered in fat, you then can just get that flavor of that fat and you won't even really know Um, maybe flavors of vegetables that you don't enjoy as much. Now, the name of the game, though, is how can you have the most flavorful, um, like, sauce or something with the lowest calorie? And now that's tough. 
but that is i think kind of the fundamentals where you can get like a lot of vegetables in if you kind of yeah hide the flavor a bit with maybe a vinaigrette vinaigrettes are great um or even like some type of sauces or something like that yeah and i think as summer comes around like i'm just think i'm literally just thinking and brainstorming out loud here but take the salad add a vinaigrette add a grilled meat that you made you add some i don't know cherry tomatoes or anything and it's a pretty quick meal actually so you know this talk is already starting to open my mind to simple things that we can do i mean like pat like uh, just kind of thinking out loud too you take that same type of vinaigrette um you take kind of like yeah a good assortment of vegetables and then you know you take some chicken breast um you can steam it or boil it then just kind of shred it and then you have like a shredded chicken salad which would be incredibly macro friendly oh man that's yeah and i can do that in the instant pot which is great (laughs) (laughs) oh you know that's another thing too is also like um when we talk about like the mechanisms of cooking because like the great thing with like instant pots or slow cookers or anything like that is you can get very flavorful um products and one of the key things is you can take very tough lean cuts of meat and make them very very tender and delicious so um you know something like a beef roast can actually be incredibly macro friendly like you take like um an eye of round roast which is has almost no fat to it it's an incredibly lean cut but then you slow cook it for hours and hours you have this very tender meaty delicious thing that is very high in protein so um i think there is like some truth like i i love that you have an instant pot that's a great tool and i think i mean i think slow cookers are great for anyone who doesn't really like enjoy cooking but want to make very good macro-friendly meals yeah, and, and I think it's just a good gateway tool because, you know, it's not very hard to use. You just throw in the ingredients and then you see success and it's nice to see some success, right? Because, you know, the pan is not the hardest thing ever, but if you're really bad in the kitchen like I am, it's very easy to screw up and then you just feel bad about the whole idea. Well, let's, let's talk about tools, Pat, because that's another thing. I think some people maybe don't want to cook as much because like, they're like, okay, I don't want to spend like $300 on all these pots and pans and all that stuff. And you know what? I get it. I, I'm a cheap man. I don't like spending money on many things either. But um, I think, though, for doing a large variety of recipes, you actually don't need too much. Um, I would say if anyone's listening to this and they want to start getting into cooking, you probably only need five things. Um, you would need a cutting board. You would need a good quality knife. And now a good quality. You can get like the knife I have was $25 on Amazon. Um, so you can just like Google or like go on Reddit. And there's some very good cheap suggestions. Uh, I'm not saying to buy one of like those like fancy Japanese ones that cost like $2,000. Yeah, no, we, we don't need that. We just need like a decent $25 knife. Um, nice. Uh and then I would recommend getting a non-stick oven-safe frying pan. So we want to do non-stick for one of the reasons is we want to minimize the amount of fat we need to cook with. Um, so one of the reasons people use fat for cooking too is to kind of create um, a non-stick um, on the pan so the food doesn't stick to everything. But we can go with non-stick just so we don't have to drown everything in fat and we can just have the optimal amount of fat to give that flavor vehicle for our food. Um, 
But we also want one that's oven safe. So the one I've got, and it's safe for 400 degrees in the oven. Um, make sure your pan says it's oven safe. Those who do not say it's oven safe could risk actually like having some dangerous chemicals for you to inhale. And we don't want anyone to have that. Um, so definitely look into it. There's some very good brands. I think there's like a popular one called Mizen, who they do a lot of oven safe nonstick pans. So maybe check them out. I don't use one. I got mine from a grocery store here in Austin, Texas. Um, and then probably just like a wooden spoon or like uh, like uh, something you can mix stuff or like use on the pan. Like you would want to use something either wooden or rubber because you don't want to scrape the nonstick layer because metal will scrape it. So you want to use something wooden or rubber, but anything really. And maybe a bowl. Like I would say like if you can get those five things, you could probably make, man, at least a hundred different recipes. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's... uh how you use the tools right yeah exactly and i mean i think though like there's a lot of variety you can do with that because like okay if it's oven safe then you can do like roast in that and then boom you have all this assortment of roast mm. and of course like your standard frying pan you can do eggs you can do sauces you can even like boil pasta in it and have it like that or uh, even like cook rice in it I've, I've done rice in a frying pan too it was fantastic <laughs> um it's as a Chinese person, that's baffling. <laughs> well, because, nice. like, um, yeah, because all you needed to do is, like, once you got the rice boiling, I just needed to make a seal so it could steam. So I, I, I think I took, like, some aluminum foil and just yeah. bring it around. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so I think, like, you really don't need that many tools to cook. I think some people get a little overloaded where you just get, like, an accessory for everything, which can be a little much. Yeah. Man, those are great tips. Keep it, keep it short and simple. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, again, we want to make a low barrier of entry. And also, like, I don't know. I think cooking's fun. Do you enjoy cooking? You know, it, I've actually grown to kind of enjoy it. Like, I make very simple things. But, like, for example, a stew or a stir fry or just, like, frying some chicken thighs. And then, like, I, like, I really believe in starting from the most basic things because you get to, like, just like personal training and picking simple movements, it's like, and I get to see some success. I'm still on my journey here, but hope is that I get to see more success and eventually I'll be much more open-minded to ch trying challenging things and being, and where I'm sure you've had recipes where you failed a bit. And then once you're further along, like I want to get to that point where I can be you know, flexible with making a mistake here and there and learning. And, and I think it's a good time. No, completely. And I think you have, the, I mean, you have completely the right attitude. I think even for myself, there's like times where, you know, I want to challenge myself and be like, okay, let's try a trickier. Let's try to make something trickier now. Um, and, and again, I think it is a learning process where, you know, you try new things, you get no, new skills and you just keep on improving and improving. And um, I think cooking is a great hobby to have, not only because um, you can save so much money, but I think it's also, I love cooking for people. I think it's one of the great things is that you can cook and show appreciation to people and it's always a great thing to do. Oh man, like, and I think that's like a goal for me too, to get to the point where I'm like proud to show off my product to people, right? It's, uh, and yeah, it's, it's probably one of, the, one of the best love languages in the world, right? Being able to cook. <laughs> <laughs> definitely definitely um but yeah i think we've covered a lot is there anything else you think we might have missed or we want to maybe talk more about like food and cooking and stuff like that oh i think we had some like super 
super good actionable tips today like i learned a lot from you and i don't know about everyone else but i'm feeling very hungry now and also very very motivated to go out there and try cooking something like you've made it a lot less intimidating yeah definitely i mean i think um probably like yeah the big tips i mean i think probably the best thing for someone to do is like what's a food you really like to go and eat and try cooking it yourself and then like then you can also once you kind of get the hang of it you can start customizing it and making it your own and making it healthier well i don't want to use healthy but you can make it fit better with what your body goals are definitely and 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 when you taught me this bit but you know, I used to eat out a lot more than I do now. And even though I can't cook a lot of things, like learning to cook some things, I'm less inclined to eat out as often as I used to because I'm like, well, this and this thing, I could make a similar version at home or I could have a bigger portion at home for a third of the price. And it really, really even just like changes perspective for, for people who like, like to eat out a lot because they think they can't cook. A lot of things are easier than we think. You know, Pat, it's, it's funny. I actually, um, uh, I had to travel, um, a few months ago and I used to love, um, hotel breakfast, you know, like those free breakfast you get, but like, yeah. I've kind of like, I've, I've gotten like my eggs, like my scrambled eggs are so good. I love how I make my scrambled eggs. They're amazing, but I cannot eat anyone else's scrambled eggs. Like I have found what works for me so well that like now, like I'm kind of picky now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, honestly, like, one of the dumbest things I learned to make was like, you know, like, just like basic like marinated eggs, like the ones you'd find in like a ramen restaurant. And now like, I'm very hesitant to eat them all the time, because I'm like, wow, I could make like, 10 of these things for like, $4. And they charge me $2 for one of them at a restaurant. It's, it's, uh, it's crazy. Dude, I, have you made them before? I've been thinking about doing it for a while because you're right. They're very simple to make and they're so good. Have, have you made them yet? Have you um, done it? Those fermented eggs? Yeah, well, the ones that the ones they make for ramen are not fermented eggs. They're just like a soy base. And essentially, it's like soy sauce, mirin, and like a couple other things, garlic and whatnot. And like, sure, to make it perfectly like the ones they do in restaurant, you might not get the exact same taste. But Amra, I feel like you probably could. Like mine are like ninety percent there. I'm pretty happy with it. Damn, dude. No, I'm gonna have to make some for myself. No, that'd be good. Um, yeah, no, that'd be fun. that would be fun to do. Um, yeah, and I mean, like, kind of adding to it, it does. It is kind of fun to always try new things. Like I don't know if you remember, but um, a while ago, I made some like of those like Chinese hand pulled noodles, and that was like a lot of fun to make. And um, I need to make some like beef noodle soup. That would be really good to make. You, 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 if you're making beef noodle soup, you gotta be back in town because I gotta try it. Uh, I'll let you know. Although I feel that one um, beef noodle soup might be harder to compete with some of the locals because they, they've definitely mastered their recipes with that. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one that takes supposedly a lot of hours. So, but hey, if anyone's up to the challenge, I think you are. I uh, appreciate it, man. Uh, look at us. We're going to be making so many gains and cooking gains. We can do like a whole natty iron chef. <laughs> it's, it might be a thing. All right. Well, um, you know what, Pat? I think we've left a lot of great stuff. Uh, thank you all for listening. It has been always great. And 
Hope you all make some natty gains. Hope you all make some natty gains in the kitchen. Would love to hear what people have been making. Any fun tips you guys may have for us. We'll always love to hear. But with that, natty news out. Natty news out.